That was quite a darn escape back there. <laughs> right oh. And let us never speak of it again. So tell me, what was so important that you had to compromise my hideout? I don't know if you noticed, but the world has gone to heck. Eh? What happened while I was out? Ever since we started this podcast, more and more people are catching sight of the cryptids. The cryptids are making themselves known to all. Oh, now, wait a minute. This is a good thing. <laughs> Angel, this will inevitably end our careers. What point would it be to have a detectability in our rubric of power if they all get ones? The rubric's stability is at stake. Oh, gee, I hadn't thought of it like that. <laughs> that is precisely why we must fix this. But how? Science. <gasps> you see, we can bend light to make ourselves invisible, but tweak the technology just right, and we can actually travel back into time. Matt, this is ludicrous. You remember our John Titer episode? That kind of technology won't be around for another 15 years. Ugh. But it already exists. From the 40s. What? I have secret documents from the Philadelphia Experiment. And welcome to another episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt, once again joined by Angel. We have a lot to explore in today's episode, Angel, but believe it or not, before we get into that, there is something I very much wanted to ask you about. This is one of your more, how could we say, maybe obscure hobbies, but I find it astonishingly fascinating. Any guess as to which one I am talking about this time? Is it uh, transplanting ant heads to uh, bees no but we'll save that one for another time (laughs) so like do the bees do the ants fly then but there's already flying ants too i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it serves no purpose (laughs) the one i'm talking about this time you actually run survival simulators for various characters from one story and and see if they are able to survive in another story. So for instance, somebody like Tom Hanks character Chuck Noland from Castaway trying to survive the plot of the Hunger Games, or Vin Diesel's Riddick character being inserted as the main character of The Matrix. So Riddick taking the place of Neo, and then the story going through exactly the same way. So what do you think are the most important attributes a character needs to survive in a world that they really weren't intended to be in? Well, to answer this question, first, I actually have to come up with a baseline. Because without the baseline, it's just imagining whatever, right? Yeah, just a bunch of what-ifs. Yeah. So what I actually do is I, I run the simulation with the original character to see if they still survive. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, let me tell you, some of them don't do that well. 
so that would lead me to think of uh, like plot holes or bad writing in the original script. Yeah. Just yeah. lots of deus ex machinas in there. Mm-hmm. But once I find one that actually does well, the, the noted features for them surviving is simply brute force. So just like the rock, just some big old meat on those muscles. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. No need for brains. Just, just brawn. Just brawn. <laughs> just break everything down and, and yeah, rip people's heads off. <laughs> I mean, it solves every, almost every problem. Every issue. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a character out there that you have found that is maybe really underestimated and is actually more powerful if you place them elsewhere? Yeah, um, Timmy from Jurassic Park. <laughs> the kid? Yes. <laughs> what what simulation did he run and, and win? He survived the electrified fence. <laughs> yeah. And the I mean the freaking raptors and the T Rex. Yep. He yep. survived the whole yep. the whole damn yep. island. Yep. But I, did did you then put him in another story to run him in that simulation? Yes. Jumanji. Oh yeah. I could see him doing that. <laughs> That'll yep. be, be. I mean, if you survive Jurassic Park, Jumanji's gonna it, be a cake. Yeah, that, cake. that was like that was like you know me testing out the simulator first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure there weren't any bugs. <laughs> is there is there anyone then who has survived the most simulations? Surprisingly, it's been any character that's been played by Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So what makes Mel Gibson's character so uh, powerful? Racism. <laughs> So I mean, it's like any p- computer AI. It your AI became racist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. And Not everyone else was just so offended that he just got mm-hmm. away with everything. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Son of a gun. So then, it, besides the racist characters, does one stick out as being the worst character, like one that just continually fails, and no matter what role you put it in? Yes, of course. There's always one. And that one is I have to dig deep here because um I've run so many simulations and I can't find my Excel sheet <laughs> right now. Once again, um this is a surprising one. It's uh Gandalf. <laughs> Gandalf dies? <laughs> yes. Even with given his powers. Uh, to come back even stronger yep <laughs> he still continues to lose yes. oh no gandalf <laughs> is there one that really sticks out as like gandalf failed did you put like gandalf in arnold schwarzenegger's jingle all the way um no it was um 13 going on 30 with jennifer garner <laughs> the, the, <laughs> Isn't that a movie where like a little kid gets like like a thirteen year old gets put in a woman's body or something like that? Yes. <laughs> so Gandalf's like, isn't he like hundreds of thousands of years old, and he gets put into a woman's body, and he's like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, he's never encountered that situation. I have no memory of this place. He says, no frame of reference. <laughs> oh God, not even his magic can save him now. One last question then. Have you ever done one with Kelsey Grammer's Frasier character yet? Yes. Yes, I have. He succeeds as Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons. The <laughs> Simpsons, yep. Uh, they're pretty much the same character, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and he fails as you know he succeeds as Frasier from Frasier, but he fails as Frasier from Cheers. <laughs> just he's not he's not smart enough to be in the bar. <laughs> he's out of his he's out of his real element yep. of making uh, quirky comments. That's frankly I don't get because they're too highbrow. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that wondrous hobby today. Why don't we take a look at something that has popped up in the news recently? And it's it's an interesting one coming from unexplainedmysteries.com. It says, story behind secretive FBI dig finally revealed. Newly discovered documents have revealed what the FBI was digging for in Pennsylvania three years ago. The excavation, which centered around the area called Dense Run, which for those of you that are unaware is in sort of like central northern Pennsylvania, had long remained something of a mystery with the FBI refusing to disclose exactly what it was searching for at the site. Now, however, documents disclosed during a court case have revealed that the agency was trying to locate a large shipment of Civil War era gold that was lost or stolen on its way from the mint to Philadelphia all the way back in 1863. The FBI, which had received a tip-off from father and son Dennis and Kem Parada, claims that it found nothing of value at the site. However, the Paradas now claim that the agency has been hiding something about their findings as, and has taken the matter to court. Among the evidence presented is the alleged testimony of an FBI agent who revealed to them that a mass had been discovered one or two feet off Denny's sweet spot. Whatever Denny's sweet spot is. <laughs> the family's lawyer, Bill Cluck, is now pressing for more than 2,400 documents relating to the excavation to be released to the public through the Freedom of Information Act. The FBI, meanwhile, remains adamant that nothing was found. The FBI unequivocally rejects any claims or speculation to the contrary, said a spokesman. I gotta ask you, Angel. I'm sure it's on the tip of every listener's tongue. Do you think that gold is cursed? I think it's haunted. By the by, the Melonhead kids? <laughs> <laughs> no one ever suspects a haunting, which I guess is... Can is it be still kind of cursed? <laughs> <laughs> I sort of picture it like, have you ever seen uh, Billy Crystal's City Slickers 2, The Search for Curly's Gold? <laughs> We're literally like, go out looking for gold. So what? I guess, what do you make of uh, of this lost gold? Do you think it's really out there? I don't think so. I I feel like... America has this funny history with gold ever since the the mm-hmm. whole gold rush thing. And I remember growing up and there will be like plot lines on TV shows where there's some gold hidden somewhere in some guy's house or something. And it doesn't, mm-hmm. it ends up turning out that there's nothing there, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's really gold. Uh, people love a good treasure hunt. Yep. So why do you think, or do you think that the FBI would want to hide the finding of this gold. Do you think that's something that they would do? You think that they, if they found something that they would say, eh, there is no gold out there. I think they didn't find gold. They found something else. Something more sinister. Yes. Something more (laughs) cursed. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Something more in line with the FBI and what they're known to do. Cover cover ups and whatnot. They found the smoking gun. The magic bullet. It was all there. <laughs> yes. They found D.V. Cooper's real identity. Oh, 
And then right next to him, Al Capone was just sitting right there. Yep. In the ground. Mm-hmm. It, it was all. It was just the magic hiding spot for everything. So with that life-changing story thoroughly covered, let us now move <laughs> on to the main event of today's show. Goodbye, weird creatures. So long, cursed items. We on this show have a new best friend, and it is Strange Events. This season, we'll be looking at a slew of odd occurrences throughout history that have just left people scratching their heads. And then we'll do what we do best, Angel, put a numerical value to it and see how it ranks against other strange events. First up this season, we have the ominous-sounding Philadelphia Experiment. And no, Angel, I am not talking about the 2001 collaborative jazz released by Yuri Crane, Christian McBride, and your hero Questlove. The CD that, yes, Todd Ash Jenkins of All About Jazz said, Here, three tight homeboys have distilled the essence of the Philly legacy down to into one insanely funky disc that commands repeat listenings. No, the Philadelphia experiment that we will be looking at is less about jazz and more about alleged government experiments and possibly opening portals into other dimensions and meeting with aliens far more technologically advanced than ourselves. But do you know what, Angel? What? If a jazz CD was described as a metaphorical opening of a portal into other dimensions and interacting with aliens, I would listen to that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, that's what jazz is all about. <laughs> I mean, uh, how about you? You are the jazz expert here. Is it safe to compare jazz to opening portals to other dimensions? Yes. Have you ever done it? Listen to jazz? No, metaphorically <laughs> opened up a portal <laughs> to another dimension. I mean, I do it all the time. <laughs> or I used to when I was in the bunker. <laughs> I have it on good authority. You have an entire book on jazz anecdotes. Do you <coughs> recall any any stories of of opening portals to other dimensions through music? I'm sure there's one in there. I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to find that one. <laughs> so what the heck then is the Philadelphia Experiment? I think the perfect synopsis comes from an advertisement I found in a weekly world news issue from November 6th, 1990. It touches on all the high points to really get you intrigued. If you don't know, this tabloid was the king of things you looked at while in line at the grocery store in the 90s. Stuff like Bat Boy, JFK still being alive, moon bases, fat babies, you name it, Weekly World News probably made up an article about it. Do you remember this tabloid, Angel? Nope. You don't? You've never seen Weekly World News? Nah. <laughs> oh my god. It, yeah, it would just have these insane theories of, or like supposed like aged up pictures of JFK saying like he survived the gunshot wound and he's like out living on an island or some crap mm-hmm. like that. Or yeah, aliens have abducted Bill Clinton and <laughs> have like replaced him with a reptilian stuff like you know, that. I've I've seen the covers of the of the tabloids, but I never mm-hmm. actually paid attention to the name. So maybe. Oh, maybe yeah. <laughs> so in this one. Nestled between the articles, I want to freeze my head before I die, and 
Hulk Hogan heals the sick. This one's amazing because <laughs> it is where the Hulkster travels the country healing people with his hands. But <laughs> Hogan supposedly doesn't like to talk about it because he prefers to think that only God can wield such powers, brother. <laughs> Which I must say is the most off-brand thing for Hulk Hogan ever written because if he wielded the power of God, he would tell you that is why he was able to pick up the 600-pound Andre the Giant over his head in front of 9 million people at the Silver Dome and slam him down, Jack. <laughs> the page reads, Free shocking report tells how to become invisible. Secret CIA files opened by congressional orders. It is from Brad Steger, author of The Philadelphia Experiment and Other UFO Conspiracies. Brad states in this ad-slash-article thing, Over the years, there have been persistent stories involving a top-secret government project known as the Philadelphia Experiment, in which, in 1943, the U.S. Navy secretly accomplished the impossible when they successfully teleported a warship from Philadelphia to a dock near Norfolk, utilizing the highly classified zero-time generator. So, so far, pretty straightforward, I think. Military experiment. Zero time generator, I think, sounds pretty neat. Have never heard of that thing, have you? Nope. Off the bat, two things sort of jump out at me. For being a top secret occurrence, there sure seems to be a lot of information about the Philadelphia experiment. And Steger is also blatantly telling us of the zero time generator. So maybe it isn't so highly classified as he suggests. How do these things leak out, do you think? A lowly uh, intern serving coffee, <laughs> looking just, over the documents. <laughs> just going to take this one? <laughs> He's like, what's this zero-time generator? <laughs> i got to tell yes, the press. <laughs> <laughs> Let's read on. The experiment began as an attempt to develop radar invisibility, the ultimate camouflage, to protect U.S. ships from Nazi and Japanese submarines. Then, according to accounts, the destroyer Eldridge vanished into thin air with a full crew on board. And when the crewmen and officers returned to this dimension, they would forever be trapped in hellish torment. Yikes. Vanishing warboats and hellish torment, Angel. So we potentially have an experiment gone wrong. Does that sound right to you so far? Yes, I'm following yep. mm -hmm. so far. It goes on horribly a number of the crew burst into flames in spontaneous human combustion. Others had portions of their bodies frozen into the steel structures of the destroyer. Of the men who somehow managed to survive, many spend the remainder of their lives committed to psychiatric wards and mental institutions. Though officially the U.S. Navy has categorically denied that any such experiment took place, the rumors have persisted, and they are very strong. Researchers have continued to receive accounts from eyewitnesses of the experiment, and those who claim to be survivors of crewmen consigned to ashes or asylums. How about that claim, Angel? Spontaneous human combustion. People phased into the ship. People going insane like they are in an H.P. Lovecraft novel. And the Navy denies it all. What do you make of it? I mean, a ship disappearing is pretty outlandish to begin with. So why not tack on all those other things? People just blew up. They caught on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you go invisible, I guess. <laughs> the technology is still so brand new. You're bound to blow someone up. <laughs> so this 
ad article goes on to describe Alfred Bielek, a physicist and former Navy seaman who came forward claiming to have been a member of the Eldridge and survived time warping, teleportation, invisibility, electromagnetic zapping, and on top of that, emerged from a period of brainwashing to now tell his story in this book by Brad Steger. Claims are further made, Angel, that UFOs were involved in World War II, Roosevelt made a deal with aliens who represented a body known as the K-Group, the CIA can physically age or de-age you, the government can arrange new bodies for souls who have been previously left who have previously left their body and that energy forces have been created which when unleashed have caused great damage to lives and property such electrical monsters a dozen feet tall it claims cause whirlwinds that crush homes in long island there is a lot to unpack here as it implies this is all related to the philadelphia experiment which with the use of scientific data extracted from the project the military was able to accelerate technology to allow us to do those things how do you think it went from a vanishing ship to electrical monsters killing people in long island honestly i think it's (laughs) imagination gone wild i remember back in the early 90s i had my first computer desktop computer and currently i have a phone in my pocket that is a thousand times more powerful than that computer. How the hell did they have this technology back in the 40s and not computers and phones like we do now? Like, I don't buy it. Well, I guess you could argue that this technology was then made to make your telephone today, Angel. (laughs) Yes. Let's stop talking to aliens so that we can get everyone hooked on social media. Mm -hmm. I mean... (laughs) I have to see what the Kardashians are doing right now. We need to pause the <laughs> the episode. Maybe that was the plan all along. <laughs> oh, no. It mentioned the K group that made a deal with Roosevelt. Kardashian. The K group, the Kardashians. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it, it got worse. And the final thing it says is that according to new information, when the warship Eldridge dematerialized and moved ahead on the time track, it ripped an enormous hole in hyperspace 40 years wide. <laughs> this tremendous tear in time allowed a vast contingent of both good and bad aliens to enter our space-time continuum, including Angel, an attempt made to take over the Earth by hostile alien forces in 1987 that was prevented at the last minute by a more highly advanced interplanetary council it then lets you mail in for the book for a steal of 15 dollars and one dollar postage then you get your free confidential report on visibility which seems suspicious to me uh that this dude is just giving away confidential cia documents with his book but i guess congress declassified them so we have holes in time space aliens invading earth teleporting and time traveling warships is this the ultimate hidden government project, Angel? Oh, oh I'm sorry. I just finished uh, ordering this book. What was the question again? <laughs> Do we have the ultimate <laughs> hidden government project on our hands? Yes. <laughs> From the looks of it. There's just so much here. It's like a treasure trove of the, for, stuff. 
from what I was like, there is no way to to look at everything. I had to pick one specific topic and then go with it because there were so many branching uh, fields just related mm-hmm. to to this. Yeah, it's it starts off innocently enough. A ship disappears in Philadelphia, reappears several minutes later, and now there's aliens invading from a hole in time space that's forty years wide. I don't know how that works. Why? How? How does a forty-year-wide hole work? <laughs> well, you have to see uh, in the fifth dimension. You have to have that capability. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I suppose. You know what I have on high authority that the aliens did give humankind? What's that? Cotton Eye Joe's razor, the axiom that states for something to have come from somewhere, it must therefore go somewhere. So where did the Philadelphia experiment come from? Interestingly enough, the Navy has gotten so many inquiries about the Philadelphia experiment, the Office of Naval Research has actually created an information sheet on it. So if you are inclined to believe the people supposedly entwined in the conspiracy, ONR states that the genesis of the Philadelphia Experiment myth dates back to 1955 with the publication of The Case for UFOs by the late Morris K. Jessup. Sometime after the publication of the book, Jessup received correspondent from a Carlos Miguel Allende, who gave his address as RD number 1, Box 223, New Kensington, Pennsylvania. In his correspondence, Allende commented on Jessup's book and gave details of an alleged secret naval experiment conducted by the Navy in Philadelphia in 1943. During the experiment, according to Allende, a ship was rendered invisible and teleported to and from Norfolk in a few minutes, with some terrible after-effects for crew members. Supposedly, this incredible feat was accomplished by applying Einstein's unified theory. Allende claimed that he had witnessed the experiment from another ship and that the incident was reported in a Philadelphia newspaper. The identity of the newspaper has never been established. Similarly, the identity of Allende is unknown and no information exists on his present address. So despite what Onar states here, the identity of Allende is known, um, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. So far, it seems harmless enough, though. A dude claims he saw something and then tries to tell his story to author Morris Jessup. Have you ever been in a situation, Angel, where you were like, I have to tell an author about this? Not one bit. <laughs> you I, never witnessed something and like, I need to write a letter to somebody. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't. No. <laughs> no. I don't think that I I would probably want to do the announcement myself instead of just go to some author. Mm -hmm. I guess today's parallel would be go on social media and like post your story, right? Yeah. Make a, uh, a video on YouTube with like a video camera that is so grainy. It looks like it's from 1992. (laughs) (laughs) You got yourself 3 million (laughs) views right there. (laughs) Yep. The information sheet goes on with, In 1956, a copy of Jessup's book was mailed anonymously to ONR. The pages of the book were interspersed with handwritten comments which alleged a knowledge of UFOs, their means of motion, the culture and ethos of the beings occupying these UFOs, described in pseudo-scientific and incoherent terms. The writing was intended to look like three individuals 
passing the book around and writing their thoughts in the margins. And one thing that ONR leaves out in this part of it is that passengers have the implication that one of these three writers was an alien. So the writers are labeled Mr. A, Mr. B, and then the third one is referred to as Gemini. Two officers, then assigned to ONR, took a personal interest in the book and showed it to Jessup. Jessup concluded that the writer of those comments on the, his book was the same person who had written him about the Philadelphia experiment, meaning Allende. These two officers personally had the book retyped and arranged for reprint in typewritten form of 25 copies. The officers and their personal belongings have left ONR many years ago, and ONR does not have a file copy of the annotated book. So to summarize, Morris Jessup writes a UFO book, a man by the name of Carlos Allende reads it and writes letters to the author and then also sends a copy of the book to ONR with conversations written in the margins from three different people, one of them supposedly an alien. Rogue ONR officers contact Jessup about it and then reprint his book. Does ONR's write-up tell the beginning of this story to your satisfaction, Angel? Does that all make sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some weird, <laughs> weird sense. With this giving an idea of where the story came from, let's take a look at where the story went and evolved to. And I think it is safe to say this story blew up a bit. Let's take a look at three individuals supposedly attached to this story, and we can see who may have provided the best evidence in support of this military project. So supposedly... Carlos Allende, the man who was really the driving force of this all, really latched on to the portions of Jessup's book dealing with Einstein's unified field theory, which attempted to unify his general theory of relativity with electromagnetism. In letters, Allende actually claimed to have been a student of Einstein. In an effort to prove that the unified theory existed, Allende gave Jessup his eyewitness account of the Eldridge disappearing. The implication is that the military used Einstein's ideas to teleport the ship and crew to another part of the world. Carlos Allende, also known as Carl Allen, and a plethora of other names, claimed to have been aboard the civilian merchant ship SS Andrew Furuseth while it was docked in Philadelphia, the same time as the Eldridge. However, ONR, the Office of Naval Research, claims to have documentation in their archives that states retired Lieutenant Junior Grade William Dodge, the master of the Andrew Furuseth, in 1943 denies the ship or its crew observed any unusual events and that action reports, war diaries, and deck logs of the Eldridge show it was not in Philadelphia during the same time of this alleged incident as well. So if you believe ONR over Carl Allen, it makes his claims not so solid. And also, French astrophysicist and UFOologist Jacques Vallée also claims that Carl was a hoaxer and was intentionally making all of the, his claims up. Jacques also states Carl was a drifter who made up wild claims without ever providing solid evidence, including, but not limited to, claims that he was a gypsy and able to access memories from his soul from previous lives. What do you make of Alende or Alan's claims, Angel? I think it would be plausible if if this is if this were all true of what what they they said about him. But I think what sparked the entire 
Philadelphia uh, experiment. Everyone speculating whether this happened or not. And all these offshoots is, is the fact that he sent this annotated book to the to the naval office and they they actually contacted the author like they felt that there was something in there that they had to notify the author about and that's what made everyone think well why would they do this unless there was some truth behind it all so one of the things that i saw was that alende mailed uh this book in an envelope to like the head of onr and like on the front of it he wrote like happy easter it was just like this weird like uh, if i would have gotten this as the head of the onr i'd be like i don't think i'm gonna open this uh, package ever yeah. <laughs> and then thrown it out and then we probably never would have had any sort of philadelphia experiment lore ever right if or if cell phones that, if that or cell phones or <laughs> the kardashians maybe i <laughs> i you know, I've, I've, I've seen this happen before. Um, I was at an event and people were doing presentations and there's this guy that just kind of ambles in. He looks a little odd. People tell me he smells a little and he's got like a little pamphlet in his hands. And he, he wants to, one of the presenters finishes uh, presenting and one of them was a woman. And he says, I need to speak to her. I need to speak to her. There's a whole crowd in between him and her. So so he's like, I need her to get this book. <laughs> and then she manages to like sidestep him and, and kind of avoid it all. And then he like says, if anyone could give it to her, you know, here. And he hands out his pamphlet. And so we took a look at the pamphlet. He calls it a book, but it was just a pamphlet. And it was just like random words underlined circled and little notations in the margin and on the back there was like a map a little a map of the of the world because i guess it was like a travel pamphlet and there was like a a treasure it was an arrow pointing from somewhere in the united states to somewhere in africa and then it had like a question like is this where we need to go or something like that (laughs) oh god and none of it made any sense and this is exactly what i imagine this book, this annotated uh-huh. book, look like. Well, they that person could have been given like a national treasure level like <laughs> adventure to go on yep. to Africa, and now we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> For our next one, Angel, hold onto your butt. This one's wild. Next, we have up Alfred Bielek, the before mentioned seaman who claimed to have been aboard the Eldridge. His claim is more that the Philadelphia experiment really wasn't about teleportation, but actually time travel. So, insanely long story short, he and his brother abandoned ship while it was traveling through time and space and landed in the year 2137, where the U.S. was in turmoil and being consumed by rising sea levels. In fact, Angel, the uh, all of Florida except for the panhandle is gone. World population was down to about 300 million. He then goes forward to the year 2749 to live for two years. And in that time, there are actually floating cities. Everything is run by an AI that telepathically talks to us all. 
and we are also all socialists. He then returns to 2137 to pick up his brother, and they go to the year 1984 to talk to someone who convinces the men to travel back to 1943 to stop the Philadelphia experiment from ever actually occurring. It gets really confusing because supposedly they did prevent it, but we still like know about it occurring, so I don't know how that works or rectifies. He also lived on Mars at a research station in the year 100,000 BC and collected light and dark energy. So I guess you can choose to believe him or not believe him. I almost forgot. He supposedly remembered this all when his memory was jogged when he saw the Philadelphia Experiment movie in the 1980s, claiming he was brainwashed and seeing the images on screen brought brought him out of the brainwash fog. So how about that one, Angel? This one, I believe... <laughs> Mm-hmm. You most. need more Alfred in your life, right? <laughs> yes. Mainly because this sounds, uh, uh, it's reminiscent of John Titer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the United States is uh, a hellhole. I think <laughs> he claims that there is some sort of new world war where uh, it was United States, Russia, and China, similar to the John Titer story. He's just traveling all around the timeline back and mm-hmm. forth doesn't really explain how he's traveling back and forth. I suppose when he gets dropped off in 2137 by abandoning a ship, he just like jumps off and falls <laughs> into this new timeline. I, I guess that's how it works. And they must have some sort of time machine, I'm guessing, in that <laughs> timeline. Because yeah. I don't know how he goes forward 600 more years and then goes back to get his brother. I also <laughs> don't know why he left his brother in the future past. Um <laughs> and then goes back to 1984 and gets convinced that you know what we need to stop the the philadelphia experiment from ever occurring and they do it but it it doesn't make sense because he was brainwashed by the government so if he stopped it it still occurred i don't know what the hell is going on (laughs) if if he stopped it who brainwashed him Exactly. And then why do we know it happened, too? Why was there a movie made about the goddamn experiment that he watched if he prevented it from ever happening? Maybe maybe we're living in the timeline that it did happen. (sighs) He makes no claims of branching timelines (laughs) that I know of. It's It's not the John Titer, like... Yeah. Butterfly effect of infinite <laughs> timelines. But Alfred's dead now, so we will never get the final secure answers, I guess, unless we order that book for $15 and <laughs> $1 postage and we can get it. Yep. The last supposed witness, per se, is Edward Dudgeon, who was in the Navy from 1942 to 45 as an electrician on the USS Ingstrom, which was in Philadelphia in 1943. He tells of a method known as degaussing, which used high voltage charges to attempt to make a ship undetectable by U-boat magnetic torpedoes. So while not invisible to radar, it made the ship harder to be hit. And the Navy was trying all sorts of things so ships could actually make it through the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean to get to their destinations and not be destroyed en route. Dudgeon claims the degaussing would create a corona discharge known as St. Elmo's Fire, which would illuminate the ship in a green glow. The quick travel of ships from Philly to Norfolk would be a result of military-only 
inland canals in the Chesapeake Bay, which would shorten the trip from two days to six hours. And very few people actually knew of the canals at that time since they were not usable by the public. The account is all told in Jacques Vallée's Anatomy of a Hoax, the Philadelphia Experiment, 50 years later. So Dudgeon's claims are supported with proof of being in the service, and he also claims that he was a part of one of the more mysterious claims of the experiment. So there's this story out there that after the initial experiment, the crew were still suffering from the effects of teleporting away and were sort of like becoming invisible. And so like the idea was when they came back, they would turn invisible. And if they're invisible too long, they would be frozen in like this ethereal plane. But if like other crewmen like got to them soon enough and started shaking them, that could pull them back into reality. As the crew is still suffering from those effects, supposedly there is a newspaper clipping that is kept in a safety lockbox to preserve its importance, which is one of the alleged smoking guns of this project. And it indicates that at a bar there was in Philly, a tavern brawl broke out and two crewmen just up and vanished into thin air. Dudgeon claims that the story is actually about him and a fellow crewman, stating he falsified his birth certificate to make it look like he was actually 18 when he was in reality 16 and should not have actually been able to join the Navy. So during the brawl, two barkeepers actually swiftly escorted him and his crewmate out as he was underage and they wanted to help protect him from any ramifications of being of drinking underage. So how about these claims, Angel? Do you think that Edward Dudgeon's claim is more believable than the others or is he also suspect well these are definitely more down to earth the only one that's weird is the whole being invisible and then having to get shaken out of this plane Mm -hmm. of reality yeah and he didn't make that claim that was just like the the overall claim of of the overall story is that the crew was still suffering these effects and supposedly that's what the newspaper clipping stated as well was that these guys oh. just vanished while in this bar, <laughs> and that's how they're able to escape the, the brawl because they teleported away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this guy is part of the cover-up. <laughs> he he has all the right answers. <laughs> yeah. Too, they fit too well, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> She just has the answer for every little thing, doesn't <laughs> he? I was underage. I forged my birth certificate so I could join the Navy and fight for my country. And you know what? <laughs> I was just enjoying a beer underage, and they helped me. <laughs> and invisibility. Yeah, we're just working on degaussing ships. That's yeah. all. It's nothing normal. Nothing out of this. <laughs> the whole freaking ship illuminates in green aura, but it's... <laughs> it's so the torpedoes don't hit us damn it (laughs) so even with that said it is really just scratching the surface of the philadelphia experiment and it is a very confusing tale of a vanishing ship that snowballs into claims of intergalactic warfare is there anything else that you wanted to add before we jump into the rubric of power and rate the philadelphia experiment well earlier you mentioned something uh, about the Navy, the copy, uh, the two naval officers that made copies of the annotated book that Ellen sent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then ONR doesn't have a file copy. Yeah. They never kept one. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, there is a digital copy out in existence. I guess it was transcribed by 
this quantum future group. And let me oh, tell boy. you. The name of that group. That was so pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the annotations in this book are exactly what I described. They're, there's certain sentences are just underlined. Well, underlying makes it important. <laughs> yeah. And then and then there's the annotations written by the different characters. You know, Mr. A, Mr. B, and, and Jemmy. <laughs> <laughs> Old Jemmy. Oh, man. I just had a thought. Oh, no. I was going to say AJ. The new AJ is... <laughs> Mr. A, Jemmy. Akbar and Jemmy. <laughs> Joseph has gone. <laughs> yep. And it's just some of these, uh, like this a- annotation here. It's um, Einstein wasn't alive then, but the natural functions of our universe and this planet worked well without him. I don't know what that's referencing. What? Like, so, oh my god! <laughs> like, it's implying that things weren't occurring until Einstein like had a <laughs> like proof or theory about it, <laughs> and that like brought it into existence. And this one, this one, I love this because it, it, this is the underlined sentence. It says the basic thought is that man is living in a world in which he is neither the completely dominant nor the supremely intellectual being. So that line was underlined. And then the annotation is, huh, he'll never admit it, though. Pride. <laughs> oh, God. And the whole book is just like that. Like all these strange little remarks. <laughs> yeah, it's more like quips about what they're reading than actual yeah like things that actually contribute to anything right it's not it's nothing like oh this is i've seen this uh, yeah it's just regular annotations that anyone that reads books and writes annotations will write mm-hmm. <laughs> there's another book this book called the philadelphia experiment project invisibility by william l moore and charles burlitz which sparked the the whole uh, new interest into the Philadelphia experiment. It, like revitalized and, it. And so this author, Joseph P. Farrell, wrote Secrets of the Unified Field, which attempts to, uh, he uses that book as his, uh, part of his sources, but he attempts to combine or, or, or connect the unified field theory by Einstein with the Philadelphia experiment and what is called the Nazi bell. I don't know much about that. And I guess he's, he's also written books on that, but it's 337 pages, this book. And it's just full of a lot of scientific jargon. So for me, there's no way of, of showing whether this, this is uh, any of this makes sense or not, but he does point one of the chapters. He, he points to a paper that was written called Tesla's Egg of Columbus, Radar Stealth, The Torsion Tensor, and The Philadelphia Experiment. He goes on to say, he summarizes what the paper is about. The original design concept of the experiment was to achieve radar reflection reduction. The field strength required to reduce radar reflection to less than 1% is precisely calculable. Fields of that strength not only fulfill the requirements for a Philadelphia experiment style project, but moreover would generate not only an ionized atmosphere and a green mist around the ship, which probably, uh, uh, St. Elmo's fire. 
Yeah. <laughs> but also cavities in the salt water around it and deleterious physiological effects in humans within the field. In other words, some of Ellen's wild allegations have a basis in scientifically verifiable fact. The strength of field is within the capabilities of shipborne electric drive generators available on American ships during the World War II. He's basing this, he's trying to essentially show that the Philadelphia experiment probably did happen because there is scientific plausibility of this happening. But I looked up that paper that he's referencing, and the quote he had pulled from the from the paper was from the abstract, where he it, it says, by calculation, the required magnetic field to reduce ships a ship's radar reflection to less than 1% at L-band 1.5 gigahertz, whatever that means, is in excess of 15,000 A over M, whatever that means. Fields this order of magnitude would appear to fulfill the requirements. Yeah. So the problem I have is that in this paper, there's a disclaimer right after the abstract. It says, the disclaimer essentially says, this paper is, Partly speculative. Huh. Uh, <laughs> it says, before wading too deep into a controversial subject like that before us, it is common for respectable folk to acknowledge their limitations. We need to make some kind of professional disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer, none of this is true. <laughs> like, yeah, so they say, we offer this little study in the spirit of an engineer and some physicists having some fun. Looking at published statements, attempting to stay within the bounds of engineering technical propriety, and saying, what if? Who knows if they got anything right either, you know? Because they're just speculating too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a what-if paper. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, I'm sure they got calculations right, but calculations don't always mean that they can do something. Yeah, so I feel like he spent so much writing on this and it's just like this this i there's no way for me to believe it because you're basing your speculation off a paper that was a speculation itself and then another part in the book says he says if the philadelphia experiment story is a myth or a hoax then it could not have originated with Elen for allende for its details are too precisely aligned with the scientific implications of the torsion tensor for it to be the creation of layman so here, it's the torsion tensor. That's what I've been talking about all the time, Angel, the torsion tensor. So here he's saying that the reason that this uh, the Philadelphia experiment must be at least partially true is simply because Carl could not have known this cuz he's just a simple person and, you know, only an engineer or whatever would have known more about this. In Carlos's defense though, he was also it's implied in the book that he was talking with an alien so he doesn't have to be educated in the aspects the alien just give him that information right it was jemmy it was jemmy <laughs> i find an article written in the i don't know what if fate stands for anything but it's a magazine named fate the article appeared in the october 1980 issue written by robert a gorman about carlos Allende. he says he essentially says that he had lived he had lived down the street from Carl's father, and he hadn't known this until he started, uh, for some reason, he started um, looking into the whole Philadelphia experiment. He said that, essentially, you know, they they course, they they talk to each other, they, they're, I guess, friendly with one another. And so, 
uh, he names him Harold here, but I think he's using a fake name because later on it mentions how he says, if you want to write about this, just don't use my real name. So Harold, the, uh, Carl's father, says that, oh, Carl sends them stuff all the time. So they went into the room and pulled out all this material that they had. Uh, Carl had sent them and gave it to this uh, to the guy, Robert, to look over. He says there's um, it was a, a manila envelope with spiral bound uh, a spiral bound book. Which was the apparently the Varro edition, the the annotated mm-hmm. copy of of that of that book, the, yeah, the UFO the, one from the ONR officers. Yeah. So he had all this stuff about Carl, and he learned all this information about him. And according to Harold, Carl was um, a, a kind of a brilliant mind. He was he did well at school, but he never applied it to anything. He just, he would do exactly this kind of thing where he'll read about stuff, learn about it, and then kind of come up with these kind of kooky, kooky ideas and, and try to uh, pass them off as truth. He made the claim that the annotated book that he had sent to the ONR, he actually made the claim that that was his uh, a book he co-wrote with Jessup. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he wasn't saying that, oh, that was just him annotated. He's like, no, no, we co-wrote it, right? So, yeah, it, he was... From what I, you know, reading the article, it makes Carl just seem like a, a disturbed person. You know, according to his parents, he was, he could have been, you know, a brilliant mind. If he actually applied himself and didn't get bogged down into these, like, weird obsessions into unified yeah. field theory. Yeah, so it goes back to, to you know, this author saying that the Philadelphia ex- uh, experiment must have some truth to it because... It could not have originated with a land just because he's a layman, but it's like he has the mind for it. Mm-hmm. He just makes it um, more fanciful than it really was. So, yeah. In the end, I think this guy's book is a is a waste of three hundred thirty seven pages. <laughs> Shame on you, publisher, <laughs> and whoever was your editor. Oh man, don't 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 even get me started on the editing. I saw a few reviews on Amazon. <laughs> people complaining about misspelling here and there and they're like what is this like you gotta get you gotta get a proofreader <laughs> that's how the publisher save money you don't pay for an editor you just go straight to printing <laughs> it's like this is your book yeah all right it's out there <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said angel why don't we jump right into it into the new rubric of power get me off this ride edition so we have some new categories to the rubric of power still our same rankings of one through four to score it but the first one here we have titled in their shoes so sort of ranking how scary would it be to actually assuming that this occurred that how scary would it be to live through it i i think i ranked it based on the differing theories Mm -hmm. a ship disappears or it teleports. Okay. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. But seems then, like something that could be like a once in a lifetime opportunity to be like, you just you just got transported from freaking Philadelphia to Norfolk, Virginia. But then there's tales of, oh, it ripped open a portal and there's aliens. It's like, oh. Yep. Well, and during the time, you know, everyone was afraid of aliens. You mm-hmm. know, a lot the- of alien... The one guy jumped off. He jumped off and went through time. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's the whole, you know, the people 
experiencing these uh, phys- physiological effects and getting mm-hmm. uh, feuds to the ship and combusting. It's, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. <laughs> and then there's that one guy that's just uh, made it all down to earth again. He said, no, no, we're just... Uh, it's just regular experiments. Nothing, nothing strange. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody never, disappeared. Uh, uh, never. I happened. was just underage. <laughs> <laughs> so, I combined it all, I, I gave it a two point five. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> the the thing that jumped into my mind though, like assuming that this actually occurred, I think it would be absolutely horrifying. Like <laughs> one of the, one claim that I saw said that some of the crew members came back inside out so f that (laughs) i'm giving it a four on the scary scale of exemplary i don't Mm -hmm. want to be involved in my (laughs) coming back from being phased from philadelphia to virginia and my you know intestines are on the outside of my body and my eyes are facing inwards i guess i don't know how that would work (laughs) i don't want to know I think they just pop. <laughs> and then after you have all this pain, then you spontaneously combust. <laughs> yep. So it gets worse. So our next category, believability. Is it too outlandish? You know, at first, this is one of those situations where when you lay it all out, it's just ridiculous. Like, nobody's going to believe that. But when you go to uh, learn about it piece by piece, and then you're just tracking the little things, it's like... Oh, I that, I guess that makes sense. Oh yeah, just you know, okay. Like you keep adding stuff to it. It's like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, it got it. It was invisible. Oh yeah, I guess it could have been teleported. Um, yeah, I guess it could have gone through another dimension. Sure. Yeah, why not? And, <laughs> and, and yeah, who knows what happens when you turn invisible? I mean, I guess it's possible to fuse with the ship. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> um. Yeah. I I think it's uh. And then, not to mention, you know, despite my uh, hating on that author a while ago about the book, I mean, he's got a lot of mathematical stuff in there and scientific jargon. I mean, there's a section that he was talking about Einstein's uh, uh, unified field theory and trying to explain it to me like as if I was going to understand it and mm-hmm. talking about matrix matrix multiplication. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, dude. <laughs> I'll so skip this fact- chapter. <laughs> back <laughs> so to the, the chapter fact- of the people coming back inside out. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so the fact that there's people like writing this kind of stuff in that that paper about this te- Tesla's egg, even though it was a speculate speculative paper, it was still trying to ground itself in some sort of into physics and mathematics and science. So it's like these people are trying to make it grounded in some kind of reality mm-hmm. to make it as believable as possible. I gave it a three. Yeah. It just reminds me so much of when we looked at John Titor. And I would, like, honestly be surprised if whoever wrote that didn't take a lot of information from some of these books uh, of, like, just as either inspiration or taking portions of the story and saying, you know, we could use this in our postings as John. It yeah. just it has so many things that could connect so easily to it. For this one, I think it does a good job of linking enough together to make it sound feasible. Like Military research and projects are already a treasure trove of conspiracies. Mm -hmm. When you have so much money being poured into one area, it's easy to say, well, we should be way more advanced 
than we are right now, right? Because we're poor, like we're just throwing money at defense budgets and shit like that. And I was watching yeah. something on the Manhattan Project a while back, and it explained how there was like thousands of people working on the overarching project. Like, how did that never really leak out what was going on? So what they did was most people had no idea of what they were actually working on. They were just told to do something while someone else was involved in the project in something wildly different. And supposedly, some people had jobs that would have no impact at all on the overall <laughs> project. They were just like fake jobs that they were being told to do. Only a handful <laughs> of people actually knew of the entire scope of the project. And I think in the entire federal government, I believe it was like 12 people actually knew what the scope of the project was. So there is precedent for these huge military projects that actually do lead to like a world altering result. On top of that, people already just don't trust government experiments. So it has that going for it. But then you look at the majority of people who advocated its existence and it's like, well, these people are effing bonkers. So that hurts <laughs> the overall believability in my book. Also, and this is a big one for me, like why would the Navy be doing this huge experiment in broad daylight at a freaking major port city? Why wouldn't this be done like elsewhere? <laughs> because you can't see a ship disappear at night <laughs> they don't want anyone to see it disappear though <laughs> there could have been, there could have been nazi spies on on the ports of philadelphia watching it and be like shit the americans got teleporting ships now <laughs> well i mean it, they they've been linked to it so possibly <laughs> so for believability i i settled on a two and a half a, a, a above average adequate <laughs> <laughs> how about then our next one third category lore lore it, it's there's a lot there's a lot mm -hmm. of and not only that but the thing I, I like about this event is that i got search for it and learn about actual things that happened versus the stuff that was made up for example, looking up Philadelphia Experiment, I got to learn about the actual thing that existed, Project Rainbow. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got to learn. I I, I looked up I, that 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 article about Carl Allen that I hadn't known about that describes the the person himself. It's a nice little uh, human story to it, mm -hmm. making you know kind of showing that he wasn't just some random crazy guy. He's just another guy that you feel sorry for. Yeah, who's some um, dude's son that was just, like, <laughs> writing in the margins of a book. You know, you could go down a, spy, uh, down a rabbit hole, you know, from Project Rainbow. I could look up Project Gusto. It's just all these different things that, that, every, that every little thing that, that kind of put the whole thing together. I could look up... You know, what is uh, degaussing? What is electromagnetic stealth? Why is this different from regular stealth? You know, the stealth bomber was created mm -hmm. around the same time. Why is the why was it so hard to make ships invisible, whereas uh, an airplane was had no problem? You know, that kind mm -hmm. of it's just so much going on for it. I gave it a four. Even like one of the things I saw, too, that like really gets you down the rabbit hole is with Morris Jessup. He eventually committed suicide so yeah. there are like 
it, I hate to say it, but like speculations that he got so wrapped up in Carl Allen's writings that he couldn't like he couldn't make it all make sense, and then it made the this like downward spiral, and he like com- he killed himself. Or there's others that believe that he killed he wasn't killed, that he uh, he was killed by the government for yeah. like making this things known when really he wasn't at all. It was the guy that read his book, um, yeah. and but in from what I could sort of nail down to reality was that he was actually a very depressed man uh, towards the end of his life his wife broke up with him he was in a car accident that left him physically handicapped a little bit and he wasn't having any successes with his publisher they actually weren't happy with what he was producing and he was actually talking with friends for several months about killing himself and ultimately committed the act even about this one singular man that wrote a UFO book, like there's theories specifically just related to him. So it goes like that deep into it. The, the lore is just so rich and it's hard to even grasp the entirety of it all. Some of it is just like that is absolutely wild. I read portions of a book called The Experiment at Philadelphia, and I may even regret saying the name of this book <laughs> in the event that people actually go and read this shit because (laughs) I had to stop reading it because it was so far out there. It talked about aliens putting their bodies in secret chambers of the pyramids to resurrect themselves and that they would visit earth every 1300 years so that they could mate with Jewish people. And at that point I was like, no, I'm, (laughs) I'm done with this book. I I'm not reading any further. Yeah. And it was like, over a thousand pages long. Jeez. And the author even said this book would be over 2000 pages if I included all the evidence that supported my claims oh, and then just didn't. So that was his explanation to not have to show any proof <laughs> was the book's going to be too big. <laughs> Such a bullshit answer. So while that one seemed like an outlier of insane theories, the majority of it all is pretty embedded in not trusting the government and experiments, which I completely understand. Like, look at the Tuskegee study. So for over 40 years, African-Americans were deceived by the government in relation to syphilis treatment and were, like, intentionally not treated, even though penicillin was widely used as a treatment. 128 very real people died from not being treated. So, yes, I understand, like, an overall mistreatment of the government when it comes to these like large scale projects. And on top of that, add in aliens from other dimensions, the dude that lived on Mars and gathered dark energy in the year 100,000 BC. I don't even know what you do with dark energy, but he was gathering it a hundred thousand years ago on Mars. Like a four. It, it's a four for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too much. I think a, a really cool category, the danger level. So how would you rank the danger of the Philadelphia experiments? Maybe like the idea being like, did a lot of people die? Or is it just really being in that situation would be like, Ooh, that's too much. It's too dangerous. I wouldn't even want to be a part of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, if if it's a, if it's a matter of, you know, experiencing getting turned inside out. Mm-hmm combusting getting fused to the ship 
getting uh, transported to see some aliens with a forty a forty year wide rip. <laughs> the, the I can't even like, my brain cannot comprehend how a hole is forty years wide. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is danger level four. <laughs> not to interrupt you, but who yeah who um measures that and says. 40 this was 40 years long well they they went through it and then they're and they they finally come out of it and they're 40 years older and like oh my god 40 years wider (laughs) so you're given the danger of four then yes so i took a completely different look at it as far as danger because so presuming that this event occurred the uss eldridge was classified as a cannon class destroyer escort it had specifically a complement of 15 officers and 201 seamen. So potentially 216 people uh, available to die on the Eldridge. And according to Sherrod Cooper's 1997 book, Liberty Ship, between 30 and 40,000 Allied personnel were killed just by German U-boats. And then specifically the United States, 60,000 Naval personnel were killed in World War II. Based on those numbers, I would say it was potentially safer to be a part of the Philadelphia experiment during World War II than just being out on sea in normal duty. So I ended up, I gave it a one. Wow. And our final category, the impact on popular culture. This this one got me off guard because reading about all this stuff and i'm thinking back and i realized there's not much that i remember of the philadelphia experiment in media Mm -hmm. they made a they made a film in the 80s that i've never heard of until i looked this up uh i know there's uh i know there's an episode of the x-files that kind of touches on it Mm -hmm. yeah the the whole time i was that we researched this i was like that's all i thought about was that x-files episode (laughs) but but that the, that episode is completely nothing has nothing to do with the act what was speculated to have happened. Mm-hmm. It's more like uh, you know about the ship disappearing and reappearing. Yeah, I guess um, you could say it was heavily inspired. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's books about it, but you know, these books again, they're they're the kind of books that only certain kind of people would read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like a a coffee table book <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i gave it a, a a two so one thing i have to say though it wasn't just one movie angel they had three movies and then a made for tv sci-fi movie so oh God. <laughs> i think one of them was even like a remake <laughs> of the original <laughs> and got that far deep and yeah there's just so many books out there but they're not um like you said, they're not not books that I don't think would appeal to a large-scale audience. I think the way that I looked at it, too, though, was that this one, I think it sort of has a long-lasting impact from simply being from what I just believe to be a hoax from Carl Allen. Like It's sort of like can be tracked to one dude influencing 80 years' worth of... <laughs> stuff going on just by putting freaking annotations in the margins of a of a book it's it's really interesting if you look at it that way like how much that did do have like a butterfly effect on this sort of little segment of 
American pop culture. So I ended up giving it a three and above average. Our new rubric of power, get me off this ride edition, it equals to a 15 for the Philadelphia experiment. Not too shabby. Not a bad start for our new best friend, Strange Events. Yeah, is anything going to top the Philadelphia experiment? (laughs) (laughs) So even even though it had a good out-of-the-box score here, if, if there was one way that you could improve the Philadelphia experiment, how would you do it in our newest segment, the Amalgamation Corner? I think, I don't know if I should make it generic or pick a specific thing, but I would say add a, add a curse to it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like curse the ship or, or, or curse the people that came off of it. Yeah, I think I think it's curse the ship and everyone that came off of it. And then random people that were around, I guess. <laughs> like... <laughs> Within a 200-mile vicinity of Philadelphia, <laughs> they're all cursed. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's an interdimensional curse. It, they brought it back yes. from that 40-year-long hole. <laughs> like um, that movie, was it Flatliners? Is that where they like intentionally die and then like get jolted back to life? And then they end up somehow bringing their worst nightmares to life with them? Hmm. What would I attach to it? What I would add to the Philadelphia experiment, to the specifically to the USS Eldridge, would be the mathematician granddaddy himself, Archimedes, and his mirror. <laughs> because either transporting to another dimension through time was either a desired effect or a undesired effect for the U.S. Navy. But if it was desired, if you added a f- entire assembly of Archimedes mirrors on the deck of the USS Eldridge as you're like traveling through space and time I imagine that there's going to be a huge amount of light out there like if you got really close to some supernova star or something like that the amount of energy of light energy that you could bounce back off of the Archimedes mirror you could just incinerate the antagonist UFOs out there you just you don't need to like shoot off your your deck guns. You just use Archimedes mirrors and burn all the aliens. <laughs> yeah, and it wouldn't look. They would just look like little satellite dishes or something like that. To the to the lay folk, you would never even know that the Eldridge was um, manned to fight UFOs <laughs> in the time space continuum. <laughs> well, there you have it. <laughs> this is a hell of a ride. Remember to. Follow us on Twitter at Cracking Curios. Uh, Send us any messages. Hashtag Cracked Cryptids. And maybe tag uh, Dan Aykroyd. He seems to be well-versed in this kind of stuff. Dan Aykroyd, we're coming for you season three. (laughs) (laughs) On his uh, Twitter little profile thing, it says, Dan Aykroyd, the comedian, actor, screenwriter, musician, UFO ologist so he puts it right out there for the world and founder of crystal head vodka so he's very familiar with those crystal skulls Uh, also make sure to follow us on instagram at cracking cryptids and you can shoot us an email um cracking cryptids and curios at gmail.com make sure to if you're not subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform you can always find us there spotify amazon Apple, 
iTunes, Google Podcast, and Podbean. And as always, <laughs> as always, nothing. I never say this. Toodles. <laughs>